as we look at God's word this morning together, um, we've seen through the book of Luke, through the gospel, that there are big questions that are asked, there are big questions that are answered about life, uh, even about death and what follows that. Uh, We've seen the big question of who is Jesus. We've talked about that. We've also seen uh, in our reading today another big question. What shall I do to inherit or receive or possess eternal life? I talked to a kid uh, two weeks ago, a middle schooler, who uh, was telling me uh, when it came to eternal life that he had actually been doing some searches online to find the answer for himself of how do you inherit? How do you receive eternal life? And this was something that he had been wondering and looking up. So he went to uh, the World Wide Web to find that. Uh, And what's amazing about this question of eternal life is we can find it here in God's Word this morning. Uh, We don't have to just go online to find that. Online you would find uh, many types of answers, often the wrong ones. But we know today we will find in God's Word uh, what is true and what is, what is right. And so today, really, that's what we see with this question of how does one possess, how does one inherit eternal life? And at the same lot time, we will find out that one who truly has eternal life, how that impacts their life, what their life looks like. Because the question of the lawyer that Isaac just read and the story that Jesus gives, these are not two separate things this morning. Uh, really, they're They're one. And so what does eternal life look like? How do you receive it? And so we're going to look at those things this morning. First of all, this big question, this big question. Uh, The lawyer, the scribe, stood up and he puts Jesus to the test. And he says to Jesus, teacher or rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get eternal life? Uh, This one who was talking to Jesus was an expert in the law, supposedly, uh, most likely a scribe. We don't know his exact reason for asking Jesus. Some believe that he was trying to trick Jesus, maybe to use some information uh, upon Jesus' answer against him, to accuse him of something. Uh, He also could be simply just trying to gain information, trying to see Jesus' opinion. Whatever the case is, he asks Jesus, A big question, a really big question. Now, often when we think about our life, we think about what we are going to do today and tomorrow when we think about life, right? If I were to say, hey, tell me about life to you. I mean, often we would say, hey, this is what I've done so far this summer. This is what I'm going to do today, or this is what I'm going to do tomorrow, or maybe this is what I'm going to do the rest of the summer. I mean, but that's what we think of in terms of life is kind of what we're doing. Life is short. We also think of life in terms of maybe how long we're going to live. We think about it maybe in terms of 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years or plus. And that's life. But what about in comparison to eternity? Because this guy asked the question about eternal life. Now, we think about that word eternal, we think about God. God is eternal. The Bible tells us that, that he is eternal. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, They are eternal, the Godhead. We also learned that the soul of man is eternal. And so what that means in here today is everyone in here, your your soul will live on forever. And so that's a big deal because 
what we're going to talk about today speaks to that, of where your soul will live, but also what does that mean for even now? So the soul of man lives forever. Not only that, but the word of God lives forever. God's word lives forever. And so when you think about forever, when you think about eternity, it is a long time. It's a long time. So I want to do this to show you that it's a long time. We're going to do some things this morning. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to need some people to help me as well. So let's see what's going to happen here. All right, so here's what I'm going to do this morning to talk about forever, talk about eternity. First of all, we just said that life sometimes, and it is short, right, and compared to eternity. So here's what I want to do to show you how short life is, all right? This, we're going to say this is your lifetime, your lifetime, okay? Right here, this piece of tape. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put on this rope. So this is my lifetime. This is your lifetime. Don't know how long you're going to live, but this is your lifetime. Represented right here. All right? That's pretty short. It's pretty small. Okay? Well, here's what I'm going to do. Through the whole service, I'm going to show you how short this is and how long eternity is. Right? So where's my crew, my kids? Come here, kiddos. I'm sure Noah loves me calling him kiddo. He is almost taller than me. When I'm slouching, he is taller than me. All right. So here's what's going to happen. They're going to take this, and they're going to, they're going to take it as long as it will go. All right? They're, they're going to just keep going. Okay? So this rope is, is going to represent eternity this morning. And then again, this black little line right, or tape, piece of tape is going to represent our life, right? Our life here on earth, okay? So here, I want you guys to take that. All right, you guys good? Thanks, Grace. Thanks, Pierce. Ellie, you got it? Don't let go, sweetie. <laughs> you got it? All right, so keep going. Just keep going, keep going. Keep, keep going. Y'all still going? All right, wait, wait. Oh, there we go. Almost got... Sometimes life's like that, though. It gets a little twist and turn. Just keep going. Keep. See you guys. Keep going. Get Dad some lunch. Keep going. Keep going. All right, keep going. All right, we'll just let that thing spin. Keep, keep going. All right, keep going. All right, they're going to... All right, they're going to keep going. There they go. All right, all right. Well, there they go. All right, they're going to keep... All right, they're going... They're out the door. I think they're almost on Josie. They're almost on Josie this morning. There we go. All right, there we go. We'll catch up with them in just a bit. Just a bit. There we go. Okay, good deal. All right, so eternity is, is long, and we're going to keep seeing how long it is this morning, get a glimpse of it this morning. Our life is, is short. So this guy's asking a big question. What, what is eternal Life, and we're going to we're going to dive into that this morning just a bit. But but eternity is long; it's forever. How many times during the day do we just do we sit and think about that? About eternity, and your soul will live forever. It exists forever. 
You ever thought about that? So this is a big question that he's asking. How can I have eternal life? But even the bigger question is, is how can I live forever with God? How can I live forever with God? How can I live forever in the presence of God? How can I live forever with him in heaven one day? Now, the way he asked Jesus assumed that one that this one who asked the question believed that he had to do something to inherit eternal life. Even the idea that, that maybe he would inherit it because of who he was as a Jew, but simply that he could do something to possess this, to have this. So there also seems to be maybe some alternative motives as why this scribe, this lawyer, seems maybe to want to uh, make himself look good even because he's going to ask a question later, almost to justify himself about his life and how he lives. And so we'll see that as we carry on. And so Jesus receives this question from this gentleman. And listen to how he answers it. He turns the tables here. And so look at verse 26. He says to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And so Jesus turns and now asks him a question. Instead of answering it for him, he asks the lawyer, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Now, why does he do that? Well, he knew who he was talking to. Jesus obviously accepts the Old Testament, loves the Old Testament, loves God's word. And he knows that this guy is probably an expert in the Old Testament, especially when it comes to the law. And so he asked him about what he knew, the law. And then look at verse 27 and 28. The lawyer answers and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to the man, You have answered correctly. You're right. Do this and you will live. There's a lot going on in that verse right there. The lawyer responds to Jesus by saying, one can have eternal life by keeping or following the law. And he summarizes it by giving two commands, right? Love God, Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And then he also gives him Leviticus 19, 18, where it says to love our neighbor as ourselves. We get that. And so he summarizes the law to Jesus, and Jesus says, yeah, you're, you are right, you are correct, but how does Jesus really respond? Because this isn't just like, yeah, man, and he walks off, right? He doesn't leave him there, because even though he says you've answered correctly, there's something wrong here. Jesus says at the end of verse 28, do this and you will live. It's a quotation from Leviticus 18.5 that says this, keep the law, and by this, or by the law, a man may live, if he lives, according to law, and if he does them, he will live. So what that means on the other end, if you don't live according to the law, if you disobey the law, you will what? You will die. And and so this statement by Jesus is a big deal. This isn't just, all right, man, hey, give a good shot at it, and we'll, we'll see how it turns out. No, this is, hey, if you do the law, if the totality of the law is followed and obeyed by you, you will live. 
the other end of that, if you don't, you will not live. So this is a very convicting word by Jesus here. Because what it means is you're to keep the entire law. We can't disobey it at all, you and I. That's what it means. That's what it means for this man on this day. If we do not keep it, we do not live. It's exactly what Paul was talking about. Romans 6.23, a familiar verse to many of us where it says this, that the wages of our sin is death. The the wages of our disobedience, the wages of us not following the law, like Jesus is talking about here. What is it? It's separation from God forever. We've seen that from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. We've seen that from mankind, that mankind lives in a broken state, a lost state. We are separated from God forever because why? We disobey the law And so, what does that mean for you and I? We, instead of having eternal life, we have, instead of life living with God forever, we have eternal death. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God forever. That's where lawbreakers go. That's what the state of their soul that exists forever will be in. And so, that's the gloom this morning. I mean, that's the gloom and doom. But that's the reality of what Jesus is saying here. A lawyer, I don't think, gets the completion of that. I don't think he understands fully what Jesus is saying to him. But that is what Jesus is meaning. So unless someone keeps the law completely, unless there's something that comes in and helps him, instead of eternal life, you have eternal death. You have separation from God for ever. So listen to how the man responds to what Jesus says, because Jesus says, go and do this and you will live, right? So listen to verse 29. He says, the man does wishing to justify himself. So he wanted to make himself seem right, okay? He says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now that might seem kind of out of left field, right? We might be like, where in the world is this? This guy's not trucking along here, is he? But he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to make himself righteous. To seem like he's trucking with Jesus. And so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Going back to what he said to Jesus. Remember he told Jesus, if you you love your neighbor as yourself. Obviously that's a summaration of the law that we were to do that. So this man wants to justify himself, make himself righteous by asking this question. Now, when it came to treating people, I want to make sure you understand this, the Jews, that's who this man was. He was a Jew. Um, They believed that they were to love their neighbor. Um, But they had issues. They had issues with Gentiles, anyone who was a non-Jew, a Greek. They had issues with Samaritans. They couldn't stand Samaritans. They were, Samaritans were, what you would call a, a Jew and a Gentile they, that were uh, this biracial um, child. They, they would at times call them half-breeds, these Samaritans. And so the Jews could not stand them. There was great hate, great demise. Um, and so the man with this question is setting up a distinction between neighbors and non-neighbors. Really the question is, who am I to love and who am I not responsible to love? And so this is a loaded question, and it is related to his first question, most definitely. 
And so neighbor, what does neighbor mean? When, when we use that word, it means one who is near, right? It means a person with whom we have something to do with. Uh, the Jews translated the word in a limited sense, meaning a fellow Jew or someone in the same religious community. That's how they saw it. So they would exclude foreigners. They would exclude Samaritans. And so how does Jesus respond? He responds with sharing a story, right? He responds with sharing a parable. And listen to how he does that. Look at verse 30. Answering the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds and says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. They stripped him, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, who is this man? Now, we're not told who he is, but it's assumed that he is a Jew, that he is a fellow Jew just to this man who has been asking the questions in this story. And he is traveling down this road that's about 17 miles long. It's a desert road between Jerusalem and Jericho. It was known uh, to be a favorite spot for robbers to attack people and to rob them and to take things from them and beat other people. And so that's what happened in this story to this man. And in verse 31, Jesus continues. He says, by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, this man who had beaten, been beaten and robbed, he passed by on the other side. Now, I just want you to simply get here. There, there's a lot of reasons we could go into why this priest passes by this gentleman. But I want you just simply to see, here is one who is supposed to be close to the scriptures. One who had as his profession, his calling to help people. And yet, he just walks by. Very unloving. An unloving act. And then look at the next verse. Likewise, a Levite, also a Jew as well, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side also. And so like the priest, the Levite passes by another unloving act. And so what Jesus is showing here, let me show you two examples with the priest and the Levite of two who do not view this man, as their neighbor. They pass by. Very convicting. They just pass by. But look at how he continues. But a Samaritan, one who the Jews hate, they hate, who was on a journey, came upon this one who was beaten and robbed. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to this one on the side of the road. He bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Are you listening to this? I mean, there's a holiday inn on the side of the road, and he takes him there. And after taking stuff that he had in his back, right, here's what he did. He took a bandage. Wrong, wrong department. Man, I got so many departments in this bag. My goodness. He took a bandage. And he took his wallet. He made sure this man was taken care of. He cleaned him up. He took care of him. He took things out of his bag and made sure this man was healed. He took his wallet out and he went up to Holiday Inn and said, hey, here. And he paid from his own money. It will say how much he even went to 
On the next day, he took out two denarii, equivalent to a day's wages. And so two days' wages, he, he, he will, or excuse me, a day's wages he will give to take care of this man. And he gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return. So when I come back by, I will repay you whatever more it takes to take care of this man. And which of these three, Jesus asked, so he tells this story, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor? So you see what Jesus is doing here? He's always turning the tables. Which one of these do you prove to be a, prove to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he, the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So what's happening here? The, the Samaritan in the story was the least likely one to stop, right? Because they hate Jews too. There was such demise and, and hate. He's the least likely to show love and care for this one who's been beaten. Why? Because of this racial tension, this racial prejudice that they had between each other. So the Jews and Samaritans with this great hate was a big issue. And so what Jesus shares here in this story is a parable that is a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. Not just a social issue. Not just a race issue. It's, it's, it's even bigger than that. It's, it's a gospel issue. And the gospel affects all of life. And so the lawyer is trying to figure out who he's supposed to love. Who am I supposed to love? Who is my neighbor? Obviously trying to justify himself. And Jesus turned the question around and wants him to look at this man who acts in mercy and compassion. And so the deeper question here um, of who is my neighbor there is something beyond that. There's something more going on here. Something deeper than that question. The decisive issue really here is what kind of person am I? You see, the, the question of who is my neighbor really is who am I? Who are you? What's our identity? Are we going to be like the Samaritan or are we going to get caught up in questions like the lawyer on who am I to love, who am I to help? Because what matters here is our identity, not someone else's. That's the point Jesus is trying to make. Who are we? And in Jesus Christ, we're given a right standing before God. We are propelled in love for God, but not only for God, but for others as well, and that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. He causes us and leads us to love others. And so this affects the way we see people around us, not because they have become different, but because we are different, because we've been changed. And so God's saving work, his justifying work for us, transforming work in us does something. It commissions us. It sends us out on a path of good works prepared beforehand for us. That's what Ephesians 2.10 tells us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. We're different. And so we live different. We love all people. Just like the Samaritan, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. 
That we wouldn't just talk about it. It wouldn't just be some abstract thought, but it would be a reality where we take bandages and we heal. We take our wallet and we help. And we do just like the Samaritan. We go above and beyond and we care for someone. And so the distinguishing mark of the church has always been what? It's been to love others. It's been to love others. It's been to care for others. And so the neighbor that we are often called to love, if you think about it, is not the one we necessarily choose. You ever thought about that? But it's one God chooses for us. You see, the Jew and the Samaritan would not have chosen each other. I think that's part of the story. What made them neighbors was the one man's trouble and another man's chosen compassion. You see, his response was an unchosen, inconvenient, very inconvenient, right? He might have been rushing home to see family. He may have been rushing home from work. He may have been on business travel. I mean, who knows? But it was definitely inconvenient. It was time-consuming, right? It was work-delaying. And it was expensive as he was helping the need of another. God expects that from us, right? To love strangers, even foreigners, neighbors, refugees, you name it, the list goes on. And if that is the case, how much more does God want us to love our actual immediate neighbors? The ones we have to put up with regularly. God makes our neighbors. And we are to love them. We are good with that. It is beautiful. It's great. It's awesome. As long as it's idolized. It's this abstract concept. But you and I are called to real love. Just like the Samaritan. Real love is revealed in the self-dying, the self-denying act that we see out of this man. This unchosen call to love the sinner who is actually given to us by God to love. And so it is with our family. Even here, that we're to love each other, those in our church community. There are times we will get restless in a church family due to the disillusionment, I think, of having to deal sometimes with difficult and different people. why a lot of times people bail places, right? But the call is clear from Jesus. Go do the same. Meaning, do this. Love others no matter who they are, just like the Samaritan. So what is Jesus' point, though? I mean, he comes and answers this question, who is my neighbor? And he turns it around and says, no, the big deal is, who are you? Who are you? Are you going to be like this Samaritan? So what's Jesus' point? The point is that this man falls short of the law, namely because he distinguishes his neighbor, who his neighbor is, and who his neighbor is not. And so he falls short of the law because he wants to pick and choose as his neighbor is. Therefore, he loves some, but he does not love others. So therefore... Though he tries to make himself right and declare himself to be justified as one who keeps the law or deserving of eternal life, Jesus says that the opposite is true. That's the message. That because you do not keep the law, because you choose your neighbors, who you love, who you don't love, you do not truly love your neighbor as yourself. You fall short of the law. 
And so again, it comes down to who are we? What's our identity? And this man proves that his identity is an unlawful man, is an unrighteous man, is a sinner. And so unless something changes, this man's destiny is not eternal life. His life will not be forever with God. In fact, it'll be the opposite. And so this leads us back to where we begin today. What is eternal life? And I want to just close there and give you some thoughts. How do we receive it? And so that reminds me also, I forgot something. Where are my kids? Where are my kids? And the rope. Wow. They're at Cain's. I want you to notice they have a bag too. Just, so you see Ellie in the back? They have, they have a bag with them. So that's good. I'm glad they got a bag. We'll talk about the bag in a second. All right. So they're, they're, they're already to lunch. All right. I think Cain's open. And they're at Hawaiian Falls. All right. That's good. That's good. So they're making their way. They're going north. All right. They still have the rope and we still have some rope too. That's good. All right. So that's great. Just wanted to make sure they're doing all right. That's pretty long. I mean, that's pretty, I don't know how many miles that is. That's pretty, pretty long. So when we think about eternal life, we think about eternity, all right? It's long. But what is it? And how do I get it, right? Because we've just learned we all fall short of that because we're all like the lawyer at times, right? We like to pick and choose who our neighbor is and who we love and who we don't want to love. We've all been there. We're all like that. So what is eternal life? Well, can I give you just a few points just real quick before we close? And then we'll catch up with my kids again in just a second, see where they're at. First of all, eternal life, I want you to hear that, is in Christ. It's in Christ alone. So my friend, my middle school buddy, who, by the way, has eternal life now because two weeks ago he accepted, accepted Christ as a savior, which is praise God. So, yeah. But he asked, or we were talking before he did that, a couple of days before he did that, and he, we were talking about eternal life. And when he said, yeah, I, I, you know, I went one night and just searched online, you know, about the afterlife and how you get everlasting life, how you get eternal life. And so it was so cool because just a couple of days later he, he, he understood um, and so he learned it's in Christ. And so John chapter 1 verse 4 says, In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And so in Jesus is life. Jesus is the giver of life. He gives life. And then look at John fourteen six. Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so where is eternal life found? This life that is eternal. It is found in Jesus alone. Second thing I want you to see is eternal life comes to us, to you and I, through the word of Christ. And so the word of Christ, um, eternal life comes through that. John 6, where do we get that at? In verse 68, Peter says to Jesus, when others were departing from Jesus and not following him, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? And he says to Jesus, you have words of eternal life. Jesus has the words of eternal life. It's the gospel, right? And so eternal life comes through the gospel, comes through the word of God. And they can come to us. And that's how we receive eternal life, through the gospel. The third thing is, in hearing 
of the word of eternal life. So this is key. God does something. He draws people to Jesus. He draws people to his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God does in the hearing, right? So we hear that in places like Romans uh, 10, 15, and by faith that comes through hearing of the word of God. We also hear in another place here in John 6, 44, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And so through the hearing of the word of God, God does something. He draws men. He draws kids. He draws uh, women to himself. And that's what a work that he does to save us, to give us eternal life. So if one is there after stage three, what happens next? Well, look at the fourth thing. Fourth, we receive eternal life. It's something we receive, right? Eternal life is something we receive. So it's not something we inherit, okay? It's not something we we go out and we work for and we do. Jesus kind of showed us that. We can't do that. We fall short of that, okay? But the fourth thing is we receive eternal life through believing in Jesus, believing in Christ. John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, the Father, has eternal life. Isn't that amazing? We have it if we believe in Jesus. And he does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Right? And the next, fifth, in believing, I want you to hear this. This is what's cool. We have eternal life now. In believing, we have eternal life now. Not just something in the future, but something we possess now. Where do we get that? Well, back in John 5, 24, did you listen? It says, the one who believes him who sent me has eternal life. So that's a present condition. That's a present possession. Something you have now. Not something you're just simply waiting for later. Something you have now is eternal life is now. Um, And believing is the link that unites us to that life with Jesus Christ in the right now. So if we have Christ, we have life, eternal life now. His life is eternal, right? And we're seeing that with the rope. It's, It's forever. It's long. Our life is short. But eternity is forever, and eternal life is both now and forever. And the sixth thing I want you to see is this. Eternal life is this, all right? It's a personal relationship. Isn't it? It's a personal relationship with God now, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. John 17, 3, listen to what Jesus said. This is eternal life, that they may know you, as Jesus is praying to the Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so eternal life is personal. It's an intimate knowing of God. It's a conscious, very aware experience of knowing and relating to God. This week, I was at Starbucks. I was meeting with Ji Young, our Korean pastor. We were having a conversation about the Bible, and this gentleman was just standing there uh, listening. And we were done talking. Ji Young got up to go, <laughs> go to the bathroom, and this man saw his opportunity, and he just started talking uh, just about just abstractness of spirituality and just stuff dist- totally um, um, how would you divided and and didn't didn't seem like spirituality was was something you could possess and, and know but just seemed like this abstract thing and I directed this gentleman I said I listened to him for a while 
And then eventually I cut him off and I said, listen, I said, hey man, can I, can I just bring you back to just some simple truth, back to Jesus, <laughs> and, and let you know that, hey, you can know God, and you can know God through Jesus. And, and I, I think we've got to understand that's what eternal life is. It is knowing Jesus. It's knowing God personal. We have a personal relationship with him right now. We can commune with him, live with him, and know him personally. And then, I want you to see this as well, that eternal life, seventh, is a life lived like Jesus now. That's what eternal life is, that we, we've been given the life of Jesus to live like Jesus in the here, in, now. Meaning this, that we love others. <laughs> because Jesus has showed us how to love and show mercy like the Samaritan. We love others. We love others. And we do that at different places. For example, I want to show you, my kids are still walking, all right? Are they up there? There they are. They've made it to their elementary, right? Because that's what eternal life does, right? It, it goes to school. <laughs> it goes to school and, and it lives like Jesus, right? They've, they've got a bag there. You can barely see it, but Pierce has one of these. Because, man, he's going to go and he's got to be Samaritan-like, right? He's got to go love. Where else are they going? Are they already, where are they at? They're at the rec center, right? So they're going to play some basketball. Basketball. They're going to play basketball too. There, all right, right. Oh, they're going back to the rec center. All right, they're going to get some, back to the basketball hoop. All right, that's great. And they're watching skateboarders in the distance. Okay, it's good. All right, and they are quick walkers. Where are they going next? Where are they at? Ne they're at the playground. That looks like Eliana's doing. All right, that's cool. And. Are they, and they're at the middle school. All right, cool deal. They're all real close to each other there, so they're, they don't look like they're sweating too much. They haven't had to walk a whole lot, but that rope's still going, right? And that's what eternal life looks like. As we go into our different places, we live like Jesus. We live the life of Jesus. We love like the story here, the Samaritan, and all these different places we go. We, that's what eternal life does. We, we have this, and it's this life we live out, okay? And so just... A couple more points. We're not going to see my kids anymore. I think they took a break, right? Got some water somewhere, all right? But the eighth thing I want you to see is that eternal life is not interrupted by death. It's not interrupted by death. I say this often to people that death is like a speed bump, right? It's like a speed bump for those in Christ, right? But death is not uh, eternal life is not interrupted by death. And the next one, almost there, eternal life will be made complete in its fullness when Jesus comes back, right? And we experience the resurrection reunited with our bodies as the Bible talks about. John 6, uh, 40 tells us that on the last day when Jesus comes back. And then also, the last one, and I want you to just hear this today, and the last thing we'll tell you is that eternal life will last forever and ever. Ever. And so with this little bit of life that we have here on earth. Little. Remember that piece of tape? This lawyer asked the biggest question of all, I think. How do we possess? How do we internal, inherit eternal life? And we've just heard how. It's found in Jesus alone. It's through believing and all this other stuff. And so today, where are you? Do you believe in Jesus? That's the only way you can have eternal life. We all are like the lawyer, wanting to justify ourselves, wanting to make ourselves seem right, wanting to know what can I do? 
Who am I supposed to love? But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It comes back to who you are. Who are you? And if you know Jesus, you're a child of God. You belong to him. And you have a relationship with him. And you have eternal life because you've believed in him. And as a result, then we go out and we love like the Samaritan in the story. So today, I, I pray that you know what it means to have eternal life and that you have it, you possess it. And what it means to, to live as one who has eternal life. We've seen a picture of that, what it looks like. And so today, let's celebrate that. Let's remember that. And then if you're here today and you've never believed in Christ, let me encourage you. You've, you've heard the word today, the word that brings eternal life. May you believe today. Believe in it. Let's pray.